It's time for the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. Clay Patton in for Susan Littlefield as we break down the day's trade with Heather Ramsey of the ARC Group. And Heather, it is great to talk with you once again. And what a kind of a wild couple days of trading we've had here. And uh, coming in on a Tuesday, we see that strong overnight session kind of hyping up an early turnaround Tuesday morning trade hits, so some selling. And then we come back to end mostly in the green. What is the current market environment kind of saying? when we see this type of volatility back and forth? You know, I definitely think the market is telling us it wants to be active. It wants to reward our headlines with movement. The other thing it's telling us, though, is that it doesn't know which headline is most important at this point in time. Is it planting and these the would-be planting delay right now? Is it the fact that planting conditions aren't great? Is it the fact that there's macroeconomic pressure all across the globe right now? Uh, you know, what is the headline of the day we're going to trade? And, and quite frankly, we're having multiple headlines. And so markets giving us mixed vibes, managed money, I think, is having a real um, – just kind of a real reset and, and a need to focus on where should they put that, you know, new investment, those new trades every day. And so that's kind of what we're seeing here. We had such a strong run post the planting intentions report. And now we're seeing that kind of focus come away from those acreage numbers and try to figure out what is the next most prudent thing that the market should trade. And so that's kind of where we're at here this week, the end of last week into this week. You know, when you start talking about how managed money is controlling the direction sometimes of the commodities, really the last eight to 10 months, we've really seen that as a hedge against inflation. Managed money has stepped back in and bought. But now we've got this dynamic of a dollar index. It's on two-year highs. We have 10-year treasury yields pushing towards 3%. So where does commodities play a role right now in a hedge fund manager's portfolio? And can they still step in there and buy like they were uh, when they were initially buying for inflation? You know, I definitely think that it's still important in their whole portfolio. We have seen some shifting um, as far as shifting away from some of these front month, um, front month uh, positions, which truly, in my, in my opinion, the volume that was in the front month, that was just strictly straight up trying to manage inflation and what we needed right now. Uh, where they're shifting out into some of those deferred positions, a little bit longer-term um, um, standpoint, that is a, a bet against longer-term supply issues that we need to work through. You know, things haven't been perfect. We haven't been growing, you know, fantastic crops, hands down, season over season, between the northern and the southern hemisphere for the last probably two crop rotations especially. And so that's a little bit more of a longer term, you know, hedging your bets, so to speak, um, in that strategy. So maybe a little bit of a shift away from this immediate inflationary discussion. What I will say is um, that phrase, uh, bull markets always let you in. We've seen that happen time and time again through this rally and through this run. So it's not... I, I don't know when the end is coming, right? Nobody knows when the end is coming. But as these markets pull back, what we're seeing is a small enough pullback to signal that this is just temporary and we're not seeing any massive, um, you know, exodus of this market to really say, oh, we're done, it's time to move on. So what we're seeing is, is a market that is giving us windows to let us in and we're seeing outside information that builds on reasons for this market to continue to go higher. Like I said, we are seeing a little bit of that shift from this old crop, this major lie, 
into more of a December 22. Um, we're actually seeing volume pick up on the December 23 when you look at like the corn portfolio, for example. We're also seeing on the wheat side of things, pulling back out of that July and going into the deferreds, into the DEES and beyond. So um, more of a long-term mindset, which as we focus into like some long-term ideas, those positions don't tend to be as fluid as what we've seen um, up to this point. You know, when you're in that front month, you're you're constantly in and out. You're constantly taking taking positions, making money. That you know, just more of an active trader style uh, position. Whereas the longer the deferred positions tend to be a little bit longer term. And when we're looking at that, that's obviously from a macro market perspective. Now, when you go to the fundamentals, as you were talking about, we're shifting our perspective. We're shifting it from that old crop stock on hand. We're starting to go, okay, what can we produce in 2022? And we get out USDA crop progress data yesterday, the winter wheat crop, it's poorest since the mid-90s. Uh, we've got very little topsoil west of Missouri when it comes to topsoil and subsoil moisture. Then east of it, it's too wet to plant. The big ice states are way behind. What does that say to the trade? A whole lot of like mixed feelings and thoughts, I think, come from all those things you just said. On the wheat side of things, this is our, our worst crop in 20-plus years, um, at least ratings-wise. That has been very – the reaction to that has been very muted because there was, you know, end of February, there was this assumption that the U.S. was going to have to have this great – you know, North America is going to need to, like, really support and supplement wheat because of the conflict going on in Russia and Ukraine. Since then, that fear has kind of backed off. Even with a terrible crop rating, that fear has backed off because we're seeing Russian wheat continue to get exported um, at numbers that are surprising people. And so there is a lot of hands-off approach to wheat right now because we just don't know how much Russian wheat is going to continue to move and how much U.S. and you know North American wheat is really going to be needed. Like, obviously, we need that production, but how sensitive is that production to global wheat security? And so that's kind of the reason I would say that a lot of this managed money and a lot of just, you know, wheat position, positioning in general has become a little bit hands-off. There's just too many unknowns. We can swing this thing one direction or the other really fast based on what headline is in the lead for wheat. Um, so that's kind of become a little bit of a hands-off spot. We're not putting managed money in there. We're going to alternative crops. When you look at the other crops, um, yeah, I mean, corn, we're the number one corn producer in the world. We can't forget that, that if we don't have perfect conditions and raise a great crop on one of the smallest acreages we're going to put in in about 20 years, um, you know, this could, we, we just don't have a lot of room for error on our balance sheet, I guess, is, is the easiest way to say it. We've got to plant every single one of these acres that we are intending to plant, and they've got to be good, right? Otherwise, we don't have a whole lot of wiggle room. And so where we have way too dry on the west, way too wet on the east, we're looking at potential, you know, wet flooding in the north-central parts. Uh, you know, just nothing, nothing gives us the warm fuzzies about the corn crop going in ground or the soybean crop going in the ground right now. So with the expanded soybean acres at this point in time, it gives us a smidge more wiggle room, but hardly anything because – South America wasn't a perfect soybean crop either. So there's a lot of things building in the background that from a fundamental standpoint, the market should continue to give us some opportunities here. We just have to be very careful on does the managed money believe in that too? And do you know other speculators believe in that too? So that that's kind of the one of the indicators that in the background, you kind of look for the money flow and see are they buying into these fundamental issues as well or they, have they changed their mind and changed their tactics? 
Again, we're talking with Heather Ramsey of the ARC Group. You're listening to the Fontenelle Final Bell. We've got more coming up in part two of the Fontenelle Final Bell. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. Clay Patton in for Susan Littlefield. Here's we're talking with Heather Ramsey of the ARC Group. And Heather, in our first segment, we focused a lot on what's happening right now in the futures market, and especially how that futures market is changing from old crop on-farm supplies now to more new crop. What's going to happen in this 22 growing season? And for a lot of our listenership, they've got dry land acres, Nebraska, Kansas, South Dakota, Wyoming, Colorado. Uh, so a lot of our listenership right now thinking about the soil is super dry. Will we get a rain to get this crop up? Yet they're uh, on the background. They've got super strong prices, prices they haven't seen in nearly a decade. So from your perspective, what does a dryland farmer do in these type of situations? Yeah, I think this is one of the toughest situations a dryland farmer has been in for quite a while. Um, what I'm really advising for all of our drylanders or even our guys that have, you know, a significant amount of dryland acres paired with some irrigated acres is to evaluate those acres separately. Um, you know, what does worst-case scenario planning look like per individual farm? And then going through and making sure with anything they do have sold already, you know, how does that fit into that worst-case scenario production planning as well as then how does your insurance work? Like what is your insurance um, doing for you, protecting for you from a revenue standpoint specifically? Um, so we're kind of evaluating one-on-one, -on -one, you know, what are the costs we have outlaid? Where is our revenue protecting at, us at? What do we need to do from a revenue protection standpoint on the marketing side of things that actually fits into a dry land portfolio? I would say the most heavily utilized thing at this point and something that works the easiest for everyone has been to go out there and look at some options that protect against downside risk. If the market goes up, it's fantastic. I mean, everybody's going to win if the market keeps going up. Um, if the market goes down is where we're really going to struggle this year because we obviously we know that this is one of the most expensive crops we've ever put in the ground, both corn and soybeans. So trying to find a good balance where we can stay protected on kind of the, that base needs from a marketing standpoint, but then leave ourselves open and being flexible on the top end is really, really important. There's lots of different ways to skin a cat when it comes to the market, and I just am encouraging everyone to, you know, evaluate their specific situation. What are the dollars you've outlaid? What is your insurance, you know, protecting? And then how do you make that work into a plan, especially for drylanders? That keeps you very flexible. Um, you know, like a lot of those, um, there's a lot of a lot of things out there getting offered that you know double up bushels if things if we hit a target level or that knock us out at top and limits things like that um, that we really want to try and probably stay away from this year if you're a drylander or just any unexpected or um, you know probability of filling additional sales as we go through the year when we're very unsure of what that production looks like it's probably a good idea to try and stay away from those. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of things to do, but I think it's extremely pertinent. If you feel like you're in a situation where the plan you had in place is now handcuffing you as a drylander, this is the perfect time to come in and reevaluate, restructure, and get that plan more in line with what Mother Nature has given us to this point. Three months down the road, Clay, we might feel like this is just turn it into a phenomenal crop, you know, and in that case, then it's time to reevaluate again. So the marketing plan should always be fluid. It should always work with the farmer, not against the farmer.
What about the farmer that's thinking we already have seven and a half dollar new crop corn? You know that means it's going to go to eight. How do we break ourselves of going? It can always go higher. You know, given the fact, as you said, in in a two months' time, a month's time, this uh, the the situation can drastically change. You know, I actually had um, a good friend and a colleague of mine. We were discussing this idea of like, well, what if it goes up? Great. If it goes up, we keep selling more, right? Um, we want to look out to next year. I think if you stop as a farmer and you really think about what was the one thing you should have done in 2012, right? Because 2012 keeps coming up. The markets were high in 2012. You could look into 2013 and sell additional bushels at a high price. And if you were really aggressive, you could go out to 2014 and get some decent prices as well. I think the one thing everyone wishes they would have done in 2012 was sell 2013. And so that was kind of the discussion him and I had that, you know, if you feel like you're in a spot where, well, what if it goes higher? It definitely could. It could also go lower. We have a much better track record of things correcting and going lower than we do continuing to stay high. So I think one of my big pieces here is to say if we're selling values that are making you money and you don't want to sell any more of either your old crop, 21 stuff that's in the bin now, or your 22 stuff that we're working on pre-hedging, go dip your toe into 23 in some way, shape, or form. I 100% admit that we have absolutely no idea what it's going to cost us to put corn or soybeans in the ground for 23. But at this point in time, the market, it's not concerned with that at all. The market's rewarded us significantly on those deferred crops of 23 specifically. Uh, We were trading in the neighborhood of $5 futures. And then we thought, oh, there's a start on 23. And today we're in that 670 neighborhood. So I think this is just great reward and return to the market that if you're concerned with the market continuing to rally, then spread your risk across two crop years. Look at starting on some 23. If things continue to go higher and you feel confident in the crop and what you've got in the field, that's when you can look at selling a little bit more 22, a little bit more 23. Just work into it slowly and steadily, and I think that that ends up being a good good plan and a good system for farmers to look at, and a simple one. You want to keep it simple. The fancier we get, the harder the marketing plan is to manage. And again, it's Heather Ramsey with the ARC Group. You can always learn more at agrisconsulting.net. Thank you to Fontenelle Hybrids for their continuing support of the Fontenelle Final Bell. Do remember, trained futures and options involve risk of loss may not be suitable for all investors. Do consider these risks before investing.